Michael! Lee! How are you, How you buddy? I'm doing good. And you? I am also doing very, very well. Things are going, going pretty good for me. Welcome, one and all, to the Intellectual Roundtable podcast. I am your host, Lee. And I am Michael. I wanted to give everyone a quick rundown of what this is and why we are here, why you're listening, why this exists. And this is the Intellectual Roundtable podcast where we talk about various questions. Intellectual Roundtable is a blog, is a website where questions are posted regularly, three times a week, where we ask questions. Michael and I come up with questions about our daily activities, things that we're thinking about, things that come up in our ponderings and discussions with other people. And we write down these questions and put them out in the world and ask people to comment on them. And after coming up with so many questions, we make the effort once a week to comb through the archive of all those questions. And I pick out one question that means something to me. And Michael picks out one question that means something to him. And we talk about it. We discuss it. And that's what we're doing here on this podcast. So before we actually get into what my question is for this week and what Michael's question is for this week, Michael, I wanted to ask you a special question. Okay. And that is, how do you come up with your question? When you look through the archives and you try to sift through and decide what question to make the spotlight question for the week, what's your criteria? How do you decide what makes a good question and what you want to talk about? I go back to the oldest question and slowly make my way up. And first of all, I try to see if there are ones that had a lot of comments to it. And, and then if that meant like a lot of interplay between, you know, a couple people making comments one and back to the other. Sometimes that drives me. Other times what drives me is there's just a lot of people that responded. But in the end, it's just that I get drawn to a certain set of questions and I try to think, hmm, does this question sound like I'm taking someone to therapy or not? And if I'm taking them into therapy, I can only do that once every other week. And then the rest, uh, the rest should be some more, you know, philosophical type questions, the bigger thinking sort of things. So that's what, that's what I use. There's no, there's no science. It's just checking out a few things for options. How about you? I think my favorite questions when I look back upon all the questions that we've had over the years we've been doing this, my favorite questions are ones that have multiple interpretations, things that are maybe not easily described or, or you can think about them in more than one way. And so that that's, I think, the kind of thing that I look for, the, the sort of deep questions that really you've got to think about, you've got to ponder, which I'm sure doesn't make things easy to, th those questions are often the most challenging ones to come up with an answer for. The other thing that I look for, the other thing that I try to wonder about, or I try to think about are questions that have some sort of universal context that it probably matters what language you speak, because that <laughs> depends on whether or not you even understand the question. But there, there are things that everybody, it doesn't really matter what your social class, what your skin color, what your religious background is. If you have to decide it as a thinking, living human being, then that, that's a good question in my mind. 
we certainly have got some uh, deep ways of thinking about what we're gonna what we're gonna ask each other, and thus the world. As you said, it doesn't always make it easy, but makes it certainly fun and engaging. All right. Well, with the prelude out of the way, let's get in. Let's get right to the meat of the the argument or the discussion, and I'll introduce my question, which hopefully has some universal appeal. And that question is, what gives a person value? Now, as a side note, before we actually start talking about relative merits or you know potential answers for this question, I want to give a side note of saying that you know Michael and I can see the statistics that are generated through our blog, and most of the 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 high traffic that comes on from various questions on Intellectual Roundtable are from the new questions that we post. We post three new questions every week on Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And those new questions get the majority of the attention. I think people who are subscribed to the blog get notified there's a new question and they might come and check it out. There's a weekly newsletter, an email newsletter that I send out to various people. And so they they come and check out the questions based on that newsletter maybe. But there are a handful of questions that are sort of evergreen or that are remain continuously popular from the time that they were first published. And I think they're just questions that people are naturally wondering about, that people are asking themselves and typing into search search blogs like Google or or other search engines. And that leads them to our pages, I assume, I think, or maybe they have posted the, these questions on other blogs or other places. Uh, but this question, what gives a person value, is one of those questions. It, it has universal appeal or ha- it has continued to be one of our most popular and enduring questions over time, which kind of fascinates me. Like, what what is it about? Clearly, there's something about this that resonates with everyone. What, you have any opinions or thoughts on what that might be? I think it's a question that it's one of the first questions that gets asked when you're in a uh, philosophy 101 class in in college <laughs> and maybe even gets asked in certain contexts earlier in life. So I don't know if people are doing homework assignments and and typing this into the search engine uh, and and getting a variety of websites that try to answer the question and ours has become one of them because it's come up so many times. But I don't think it's one that people think about. I don't think that, 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 that people generally spend a lot of their time thinking about this question. I think it's probably a subset of people who are curious about such things or wanting to find answers to such things. I could be wrong, but th- that's where I think it comes from. I think the search engine has a part to play in it. All right. Well, let's attempt to actually answer this a little bit here. When I think about what gives a person value. I I think that there are a couple of different answers that occur to me. One is that people have a a certain amount of innate value, that no one has to give value to people. Merely they have it by existing. That every person, as soon as they are born or as soon as they, maybe when they reach maturity, they mean something. They have value to their friends and family. They have value to society as a whole. They have value to the world and the ecosystems in which they are part, they, that they are a, a standing part of what goes on. And, and it's innate, right? We talk about fundamental human rights 
And that comes from the value that people have. I would then say that there is a secondary step, which comes from the part that they play in society. In particular, I think the value that someone, someone's given value based on how they treat other people or other uh, living things. That if you treat people with respect, you get value, you have value, that, that adds value to the world. If you treat animals with kindness and fairness, that, that adds value to the world. If you treat people as worthy, that adds value to the world. So I, I think it gives value to, I guess, maybe by giving value, you receive value. Is that a reasonable thing to say? That certainly sounds fair to me uh, it, and a little bit more in depth than my initial response. I actually try, answered this question twice because I felt embarrassed isn't the right word. I felt like I wasn't, I was the first person to respond to this question. And usually, you know, because of the issues that I find important, I, I believe in universal human rights and, and the intrinsic value of people. But the answer to that question was what makes someone valuable to me, not valuable to the world in general or valuable to themselves. And so, and I, I stand by my answer. I, 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 I like to be surrounded by intellectually curious people, people who are kind to others, people who sort of gravitate towards helping others that I find a lot of value in, in people like that. And so that was my first answer. And then I'm like, no, I'm supposed to think everybody has value. I do. And so I, I sort of answered in that way. Secondly, so I think that I think that what you're the point you're bringing up is, yes, there there are these two ways to answer the question. And one usually comes after the other. I started with the second point rather than the first. Well, this goes back to exactly what I was saying when talking about how I go about picking a question that I like picking questions that can be answered more than one way. And this is an example of that. This can be answered in sort of the universal sense or in the personal sense. What gives a person value to you and what gives a person value, abstract value. And, and I guess I want to say that we may say that everybody has intrinsic value and we may say that people, by how they contribute to the world around them, have value as well. But I think that's a flippant answer, quite honestly, because we don't treat all people like they have value, the same value or value at all. We don't, you know, the fact that we let certain people suffer certain conditions means that we don't value them as much as others, deservedly or not. You know, when we're all, when we get sort of America's the best country and the, we're the best people and, or uh, don't mess with the Green Bay Packers fan or, you know, it, we, <laughs> we find different ways to sort of attach value to people that we don't, I think we like to divide and then somehow diminish certain people's value according to us in a lot of different ways. Some really shallow, like what sport team do you follow to what country are you from or what's your ideology? We, we, we find it easy to to really extract value from people rather than uh, to, to give them equal value to everybody that, that everybody that exists around them. Well, that's a really interesting point. And I, I, I like that sort of deeper dive into this. And you're right that in an abstract sense, I want to believe that everyone has value and everyone is important. But there's no doubt that in our everyday lives, some people 
have more value than others. Even from something like, you know, I listen to a particular band and I don't listen to a different band. Well, the band that I listen to, I give more value to. I like them. They make my life fuller and richer and make me appreciate life and think about life. And that's true in general. The TV shows I watch or the movies I watch, the filmmakers and actors I give more value to than those that I don't watch or the food that I eat versus the food that I don't eat, that wherever I choose to put my attention, that that I am intrinsically saying has more value to me than those that places where I don't give my attention. And and it's certainly true from like a, a personal level, you know, like with other people. I, for example, Michael and I have been getting together to talk about questions for intellectual roundtable for several years now. Clearly, Michael has more value to me for the the role that he plays with Intellectual Roundtable than someone who doesn't. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there, I guess there, there may be a mistake made in thinking that other people have no value, when in reality, it's really that they have no value in terms of Intellectual Roundtable. You know, so there aren't other people that are taking part in Intellectual Roundtable. So they don't have value in a particular aspect of life, but not that they don't have any value at all. I think there's the value that someone, a a relationship you have with someone makes them more value to you. That's, I I totally get that. But for example, we'll see on the evening news, some tragic event that happens and everybody starts thinking about it and how they need to help. And so for example, children being torn away from their parents as they as um, they were crossing the border from Mexico to the United States. And the fact these children were put in some rather squalid conditions without their parents, and they're very young, and they're in this cramped situation. And we say that they have value. And, you know, to some people, they went and they actually did something about it, or other people contributed the money, or other people just sort of devoted their their thoughts and prayers and other people thought about it not at all and i'm like what value do we place on people when we let something like this happen right before our very eyes and you can only pay attention to so much i get that but that says something about do we value all people with a certain level of dignity they ought to be afforded by us and and there are certain circumstances where we say it that the people i value sort of when they're the the next big news item, but they quickly fade from that and our attention goes elsewhere. All right. Well, there's more to say on this topic, I'm sure. It's a, it's a complicated question with lots of different aspects to it. But let's turn our attention for the moment to our second question, the question that Michael has picked out. What, what is that question, Michael? The question is, what makes you, you? Which, first of all, I just need to say, if what makes you you sounds like a, something I'd read in a Dr. Seuss book, the, just the the language, the, the way it, the question came together, it just seems rather fun. It's not a, it, it doesn't automatically become a fun question when you try to answer it. It can be, but I just like the question and how it's phrased. So I wanted to ask it. I also wanted to ask it because, you know, I think that th- there's this big question of, is it a nature versus nurture type question. What makes you who you are today? And I wanted to give two answers. One is 
and and not a lot of people think about this. There's there's this thing called social determinants of health, or what is your built environment around you like? What makes you you? It, there's a lot of different things that are at play, not part of the social determinants health of health, but just first of all, partially your genes make you who you are, who your parents are make you partially who you are. And then there's these things that that um, your early childhood experiences that contribute to who you are. And then after that, there's the environment you live in that play a big role in how you view the world, especially as you get older. And those things can be, you know, is the neighborhood you're growing up in safe? Is it walkable? Does it have a grocery store nearby? Lots of these sort of environmental factors that come at play in making you the person you're you are and the person you'll eventually become. And I'm not articulating the social determinants of health very well, but the fact that there are these social environmental things that help sort of make us who we are and how healthy we'll be in the future is something that I don't think we think enough about to try to understand others. And I have a, a second answer, but it seemed like you wanted to, to, jump, to jump in there, Lee. No, no, go ahead. The second thing about makes you you is that sometimes really big things in life happen. And you sort of go through this change. And there are major events that that people have throughout their lives that can be very good or very bad that help contribute to them becoming someone somewhat different than they were before. A marriage, a divorce, a sickness. And those things are, are definitely impacting, deeply impacting things that can sort of change you and your your outlook on life? Do you fall back? And when you are no longer going through that experience, do you fall back to who you once were? Or have you changed or progressed in some way because, because of that situation? And I just want to point out that, you know, well over, well, not well over, you know, 15 years ago or something, I had this rather major personal event that happened to me. I'm not going to get into the details, but I used to be a person that was very anger driven. My sense of justice came from a place of anger that there was these injustices going on. This personal event happened and I could almost feel like a click in the brain that I went from being someone who was anger driven to someone being hope driven. And I was actually concerned that what I do as, as my, my job, um, working on social justice issues, that I would no longer be the person who would want to do that anymore because my motivation for life had changed. And thankfully that didn't happen. I still do what I'm doing and I care very much. And I care very much about the fact that people are suffering injustices, but I'm also much more hopeful about the possibility of change. All because of this one event, something that consumed less than a couple hours of my life, the actual thing, and I changed. And the fact that what makes me, me is completely different than what I was 20 years ago is absolutely amazing. And I feel so fortunate to have gone through an experience that changed my life in such a positive way. You know, I I find it very interesting that throughout our lives, it, it seems like we are involved in a constant tug of war between fitting in and and standing out. That a lot of times when, particularly when we're younger and we're, you know, going to school and trying to make our way through social ladders in school, trying to, you know, navigate the waters of 
elementary school and being around our peers, there's this this constant pressure to just fit in, to, to go along with what's what's happening. And, and we we experience that as adults as well, that we, you know, we don't want to stand out too much. We want to go with the flow and don't make too many waves. And yet there's also this secondary pull of the different and the unique, you know, the, the people who have the largest impact on society, I think, tend to be the people who have strong personal visions of how they want the world to be or how they want their own world to be. And so from a cultural standpoint or political standpoint or legal standpoint, musical standpoint, artistic standpoint, they, these people can change thoughts and minds by their own viewpoint. So, so there's this constant tug of war between how much do I go along with what's happening and how much do I do, do I stand out? And in my mind, the question of what makes you you is the second part. It's, it's how we are all completely unique. Even though there are uh, what, 7 billion people in the world, every single person is unique, is different from every other person. Biologically speaking, our cells are different, the cellular structure, the DNA that we have, the genes that make up our body is different, but also the experiences that we have, where we grew up, how we grew up, what has happened to us over the course of our lives, what we have learned, what we've read, what we've been exposed to, where we've traveled to, the discussions we've had, all make us different from every other person that's on the planet or has ever walked on the planet. And stepping into that, leaning into that uniqueness into that difference that you have with everyone else, I think gets to what makes you, you, what makes you stand out from everyone else? What, what special gifts, what special talents, what special experiences, what special genes do you happen to have that make you different from everyone else around you? It's, it's a powerful question in my mind, and we probably don't spend enough time thinking about it. So can I ask Lee, what, what, what makes you, you? I, I like to think, I want to think the special sauce that I bring to any particular endeavor or activity or experience is a different point of view. I like to try to turn things on their head, to see things a little differently than maybe people are experiencing or thinking about them. And that that change of perspective, I I is what I want to try to inject into whatever conversation I have, or uh, website I, I help out with, or any any activity that I'm trying to to accomplish. Well, for everyone, I think not just me. What what makes you different, as I said, is a accumulation of of everything that has happened over the course of your life. But if you're trying to to come up with, you mentioned one particular event that was the sort of a standout in, in your life and changing how you view the world. If I were to try to come up with such a thing for myself, I, I think it might come about from when I was in my developmental years, when I was a teenager. Yeah. You know, when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, I first had exposure to science fiction and science fiction to me is really very powerful. And in some senses, the appeal of science fiction to me, and, and I think to a large part to, to society in general, 
is sort of this futuristic setting that that the things that might happen at some point that we might be traveling in space or we might be you know interacting with aliens and we might be doing this incredible stuff sometime in the future but on a more realistic setting science fiction is really all about telling stories about our own world through a different lens and that that exposure i think has helped me it, to become who i am and and help me think about this idea that i just talked about of seeing things through a different viewpoint or from a different vantage point that's really what science fiction does through you know it views current life through this futuristic lens through this futuristic telescope and and i think i internalized that and and morphed it into my own sensibility and and i think that's where it came from the world's a better place because of it definitely i i i, I can i i can totally see that as part of what makes you you and and how that early influence had really helped prod that along well i thank you for saying that well i want to mention to anyone who is out there listening to this podcast i hope you've enjoyed this conversation i certainly have and we have a similar conversation to this every single week we record it for a podcast and we have a number of podcasts available at intellectualroundtable.com. And we also have brand new questions. As I mentioned before, three brand new questions every single week on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. And those questions vary from thoughtful to funny to quick to irreverent, all kinds of different questions. So come on, come on over to Intellectual Roundtable, take a part, read the questions, ask your friends and family those questions, leave a comment yourself, maybe suggest a question. You can participate in all sorts of ways. And also, I think we'd like to give a shout out to some Always Makes Us Sound Better, which is uh, the podcast journey. The company that helps edit these podcasts makes us sound a lot smarter than we feel in the middle of the conversation. So much appreciation to them. And if you have any podcasting needs, definitely check them out at the, the podcast journey. All right. I think that does it for this week. Thank you again for a fascinating conversation, Michael. And I'm already looking forward to next week. Right back at you. All right. Signing off. Bye, everyone.